2 Timothy chapter 3, as we continue our series, Standing Strong in the Last Days. Standing Strong in the Last Days. Chapter 3 begins in verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, folks, I'm here to declare the perilous times are here, if you haven't noticed. And uh, this is a very powerful portion of Scripture. We are going to be covering these characteristics here. Now, let me mention to you that there's 18 of them, and we will not be covering them in detail. So you can just take a deep breath and relax on that, because if we did, we would literally be here all day, although that's not a bad thing. But um, it says in verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times will come. The word perilous, it means hard. Hard times would come, difficult times. Fierce is one way it's translated in the Bible. Fierce days will come. Violent days will come. Dangerous times will come. And so we're, we're looking first today, we're looking at what we are facing in the days in which we live. Overall, it is saying that the last days will be days, now listen carefully, if you get this, you'll understand all the rest. The last days will be days of rebellion towards God. That is the general overall theme. The last days will be days of rebellion towards God. And as a result of that, the days are perilous. Because when you go against God, you end up paying a price one day. It's a matter of sowing and reaping, okay? You cannot sow wickedness, carnality, filth immorality, perversion, and all the things that we see, the rejection of God, blasphemy, kicking God out of the schools, you cannot do that and not pay a price for that. If people think, well, we can do this. See, we get blinded by our pride, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Overall, it is saying that the last days will be days of rebellion. It will be an unraveling of the world around us, of humanity. And by the way, also of many churches. This is what apostasy is. We are on a path of self-destruction. This is clear by even looking at our nation. Again, what have we done? A mother walks into a kitchen and the kids have had free reign of the kitchen and there's stuff everywhere. And what does she scream? What have you done? You know what, folks? Look at our nation and let's step back for a second. What have we done? What has happened, not only to our nation, but really the world in which we live? It's a path of self-destruction. This is clear by even looking at the things around us. We've forsaken our biblical roots as a nation. We've asked God to leave the public schools. You wonder why we have the problems we do? When basically it's like, you're not welcome here. Praying to you is not welcome here. The reading of scripture is not welcome here. We've actually not only asked God to leave, but we've actually turned against the Bible in many ways. I'm talking about not, well, let's make room for other ideas. No, we had our time of that. We've gone past that now to the extreme to where now it's getting to where it's anti-Christian, anti-Bible, anti-biblical values. 
The principles of Scripture are being mocked and rejected more and more. And not surprisingly, we are seeing the fruits of that rebellion. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28, this idea of perilous times, it says in verse 28, And when he was come, Jesus, to the other side and to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils or demons, coming out of the tombs, seating fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. That word fierce, describing these demon-possessed men, is the exact same word for perilous that we find in 2 Timothy 3. Folks, it's not a stretch to say the days in which we are living are demonic. They are demonic and they are fierce. People today are literally, when I say literally, I'm not exaggerating that. People today are literally being scared to death. They are dying for fear. They are so fearful that they are having heart attacks. And you look at at the different things going on. Even within the last year, COVID-19, something that people can't see. There are still people. Now, I understand it if you're not saved, being petrified of COVID-19. I can understand that. But if you're saved, you should not be petrified by such a thing. Why are you afraid of that? So, well, I, I might get it. I might die. Let me ask you again. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Then why are you afraid of that? Why are you afraid of that? Now, no one wants to get sick. I get that. No one wants to be in the hospital. No one wants to have things wrong with you even after you, quote, unquote, recover. We have some in our church who got COVID-19 still having issues with the results of that. I get that. I appreciate that. But I'll tell you what, the ones who are are not afraid to die because they have eternal life. And if you don't believe me, you can talk to them about it. But they're scared. COVID-19, riots, riots. Can you imagine we would ever face a time in our nation when a, a couple completely innocent of any crime, their lives were in danger. There were rebels knocking down the gates of their house. So they came outside with weapons and they are the ones being prosecuted for protecting their lives. It's craziness. And I could give you example after example. So we see COVID-19, we see the riots, we see the upheavals in government. We see the abandoning of our constitution, increased corruption in government, using, weaponizing government to go after the people. The cancel culture, censorship, the incredible force and power of big tech that we're seeing. False teaching in the church. These are perilous days in which we live. No wonder Jesus said the last days in Luke 21, it says men's, heart, men's hearts failing them for fear. Yes, we're there. Now I know we're not in the tribulation period, but it's moving that way, isn't it? Now what makes these days so perilous. Well, there's 18 characteristics in verse 2. It says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Okay? The first thing mentioned, don't you think it is amazing that the first thing mentioned here is narcissism? 
Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Even within so-called Christendom, people have fallen in love with themselves. This is where they spend all their time, is on themselves, on their agenda, looking at themselves, being obsessed with themselves. These are narcissists. There is an obsession with self and with self-expression. Who would have ever thought we would live in a day that it is actually part of our dictionary now, as far as I know, the term a selfie, a selfie, a selfie. Yeah, a picture of myself. Always taking pictures of myself, all the different things. Uh, Just, you ever see when people start doing that one picture after another, all the weird faces they make? It's like, are you sick? Are you sick? The Christian's eyes ought to be looking unto the fields, white already to harvest. But this is where we find ourselves. Social media, that's backfiring, isn't it? They're proud of their rebellion. This is actually related to all the other characteristics of our time. One of the uh, most obvious pictures to me of narcissism, there's some, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'll, I'll say it. I won't go into a lot of detail. I couldn't help but think of President Obama. Did you notice when he was in office, nothing was ever his fault. Did you ever notice that? Nothing was ever his fault. It was always somebody else. He was fine. It was always, or if somebody disagreed with him, it was a a, a personal thing. This is a sick time in which we live, folks. Lovers of their own selves. And by the way, that right there will destroy you because that's not the way God intended us to live. Second one, covetous. This literally is talking about a money lover, okay? The Bible says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Loving money, okay? Thinking that there is, I got news for you. We better quit loving money because a day's coming when it's all gonna be taken away and there's gonna be a one world system. Boasters, braggers, People are always talking about themselves, braggers. Blasphemers, this is an interesting one. A blasphemer is one who speaks out against God and his word. Listen, yes, this is talking about here, chapter three, society, but it's also talking about in the church. Did you know that? There's gonna be problems, problems with these problems in the church. Blasphemer, one who speaks out against God and his word. Even the pulpits today are full of people who supposedly stand for God and yet are speaking things contrary to the message of the word of God. This is even seen in the flood of Bible translations over the last 75 years. Now listen, we don't believe that the translators of the King James were inspired like the writers of Scripture. We use the King James. I know people, I have brothers and people I fellowship with, they don't use the King James. That, that's, I'm not going there on that. But I am saying this, friend, the more translations you have, the weaker it becomes, the more confusion comes in. And when everybody keeps their, and I can't remember the name of it, there's a new one that just came out recently. I can't keep all the names straight. Okay, this one is the, oh, I know what it was. It's the new update to the New American Standard. This is the third version of the New American Standard. Always, supposedly, the most accurate. Now it's more readable, more accurate, so on and so forth. What about the first one? Hey, if the scholars are so competent, why do they have to keep redoing it? 
Do words change that much in 30, 40, 50 years? You might say, well, some words do. Yeah, but is that a reason to change the word of God? How do you know? There are so many changes that have taken place with the Bibles today. You don't even know what, is that actually, that word actually behind the text? A lot of it, by the way, today is not. Did you know that? through paraphrase, through dynamic equivalency and translation, what you are reading in a lot of your modern Bibles, you don't even know if there's an actual word in the originals to back up the word you're reading because there's so much added. There's so much filler that is added. And by the way, I challenge you to check it out and find out and do a little deeper study on this and you'll see exactly what I'm saying. We use the King James in our church, okay? Does that say there's no value in some of the other ones that are accurate as far as translating the text itself? No, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. I am just saying we are using one that has been tried and proven for over 400 years. Nothing's ever even come close. But here's what's happening. You know, it's just, this is a recent move. Now, it it all goes back to Genesis when the devil said, half God said. Do we understand that? Questioning the word of God. But here's a new movement that's going on, the redefinition of inerrancy. Inerrancy, that the Bible is inerrant, that the Bible is a perfect book, okay? And that the text is perfect, inspired by God. People now are saying inerrancy means that God inspired the thoughts of the writers, but not the specific words. So just the thoughts, God inspired their thoughts, but he left it up to the writers to use whatever words they wanted to put down the text. Listen to me. That's satanic. That's satanic. That is not what inerrancy means, but that is what's being propagated today. By the way, a lot of your Bible colleges are drifting towards this now. The more you change it, the less anyone knows what it actually says. And that's exactly where the devil wants us to be. Many times God's message is actually perverted today and twisted in the pulpits. Not just in the translations, but in the pulpits. Let me give you an example. Works for salvation. Most churches teach that you can earn your way, that to some extent, to some extent, your good works are necessary to getting you to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says heaven is a perfect place. You have to be 100% sinless to get into heaven. Do we understand that's a pretty high standard, right? No sin. Well, the Bible says we've all sinned. Now, if that's true, then nobody qualifies on getting into heaven. You might say, well, I will do good works. Being good is not the same as being perfect. You have to have God's very own righteousness to get into heaven. No one has it. Therefore, no one qualifies and no one in themselves can earn their way to heaven. That's why it says what it does in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Look what it says. For by grace are you saved. God's unmerited, undeserved favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It, salvation, being saved. It is the gift of God. Now let's stop there for a minute. A gift is free. Somebody paid the price, but they offer it to somebody else as a gift. Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross and he offers 
eternal life as a gift to the world if they will put their faith in him that he's paid for their sin. Look up here. Let me explain it to you this way. This is, represents you and me, and my wallet represents their sin. We're all sinners, as I've mentioned. God says our sin must be paid for. God loves us, yes, but he's also a holy God. He's loving, but he's also holy. He cannot let even one sin into heaven. You have to be sinless to get into heaven. And God says, because you've sinned, there's a penalty. There's punishment that goes with that. The wages of sin being death. Not only physical death, but separation from God forever. The word death, by the way, doesn't mean you cease to exist. It means separation. When you talk about physical death, it is the soul or the person being separated from their body. When you talk about spiritual death, it's that person being separated from God for all eternity. That's what it's talking about. God says the wages of sin is death. If we die with our sin, not taken care of, we will have to die and spend forever separated from God in hell. Religion comes along and says, behave, be good, follow Christ, be obedient, keep the commandments, give your life, change your life, all these different things, trying to fix yourself by good works. I'll behave, I'll be good, I'll stop this habit, I'll start a new one, or all these different things. God says no. Look at verse nine, it says, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot get to heaven by your good works. And that is why Jesus came. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the sinless son of God, he came to die and pay for our sins so we don't have to. He died on the cross. He took our sin upon himself. He made the payment. He was buried. He rose again three days later. And the Bible says, if you will put your faith in him, your trust in him, that he did that for you, he will save you by his grace. He'll give you everlasting life. The moment you trust Christ, your sins are taken away and he gives you eternal life. You go to heaven on what he's done. You don't go to heaven on what you do. You'll never make it. The only way you go to heaven is what he has done. Here's the perversion comes in knowing the pulpits today. Blasphemy? When Jesus died on the cross, what did Jesus say, by the way? He said, it is finished, paid in full. That's what it means, paid in full. Religion comes along and says, well, it's important what he did, but that's not all. You also have to live a faithful life. That's a perversion. That is blasphemy. That's calling Jesus a liar. Romans eleven six says, and if it be by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. It's no mixture of grace and works. It's grace, grace. It's free. Grace is always free. That's one example, and that's a huge one because that is an eternal issue, isn't it? So, We see this blasphemy in the area of works for salvation. Another area, people saying today, there's no such thing as hell. Folks, man's rejection of it doesn't quench the flames. Hell is real. People are still going there. If you die without Jesus Christ as your savior, you'll be lost forever in hell. I don't say that with any pleasure. I'm saying that to warn you of the wrath of God that's in store for you unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, people 
What are they? Here's your one. Well, I can't believe in hell. Why not? I can't believe a loving God would send people to hell. He doesn't send anybody to hell. I've just told you how you can escape it. Listen, listen to this. Jesus did all the work to keep you out of hell. And all he's asking you to do is believe it. Believe it. And he'll give you eternal life and he'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. Does that sound like he's sending anybody? No. But you see, the devil wants to pervert the message and get people to think things that aren't true. He could not do anything more than what he did. It's free. Salvation from hell is free. Trust in Christ. But people today, no hell. There's no such thing as hell. Yes, there is. Theistic evolution. Theistic evolution is a lie. It's a compromise of scripture. Listen, if you believe that God created the world and all that therein is, which is what the Bible says, then why in the world does he have to have evolution come and help him with things? Evolution is a lie. It is the lie of atheism concerning our origins. And by the way, if you teach kids from the time they are infants to the time they are adults, that they're nothing more than animals with no purpose in life, guess what? That's the way they're going to live, and that's what we have today. Here's another one. You say, oh, don't say this one. Well, it has to be said, because it's a perversion. It's blasphemy. Women preachers, I'm sorry. Women preachers, the Bible could not be clearer. Women have no place in the pulpits, okay? Can they teach other women? Yes. Can they teach children? Yes. Can they teach men? No. And you know what the sad thing is? You have men going to women's seminars. Friend, can't you get the teaching of God's word in your church? Where are the men that women are filling the pulpits? It ought not be. It's a perversion of the word of God. I know that's not popular, but the Bible is clear. You will not find one verse in the Bible that supports women preachers, women preaching to men. Not one. Here's another one, Christianized humanism or human potential. I think of people like uh, Joel Osteen and, and some like that, the positive confession movement. Well, if you just say it and you think it enough and you say it enough, it'll become a reality. That is make-believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the most spiritual men who ever lived, and his life was full of hardship, full of hardship. See, these are all lies today. So-called alternative lifestyles, which are nothing more than a perversion of God's creation and design. Need I say more? You know what I'm talking about. Let's move on. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Disobedient to parents. <laughs> because parents have their minds elsewhere today and not training their children properly, their children are growing up to be rebels. Not only are they are the parents at fault for not doing it God's way, and by the way, we have an entire series on the internet. I think it's God, Your Family, and You, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Jeff? It's a family series, okay? Many, many parts to that series. You can go, you can watch it. The second part of that has to do with how to raise godly children. Every parent should watch it. Every parent should learn that. God's word gives us the answers. But this disobedience to parents, parents don't know what they're doing, so their children are rebels. 
And if they were raised that way, they think, well, that's just, that's just the way kids are. Yeah, no, God's got a better way. Not only that, but the parents, even good ones, are also being undermined by what their children are learning at school. Next, unthankful. Unthankful. You owe me. We live in a world today. You owe me. Parents, teach your children to be thankful. Teach them to be thankful. It's very important. Teach them that no one owes them anything. Unholy. The idea of wicked. The opposite of godly. Verse 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Without natural affection. This is the idea of being hard-hearted. Being hard-hearted. No normal love towards people. Ruthless killing would fit in here. Attacking people walking down the street, attacking them for no other reason than just to inflict pain and hurt an individual. We see that on the streets of America. Think of abortion, dictators. Number nine, truce breakers. This literally means unappeasable, unyielding. It's the idea of being unwilling to reconcile with others. False accusers, slanderers, okay? Our country and churches are infested with slander. Infested. And the internet has given them a tool. It's like a shotgun to take things. Somebody gets disgruntled in a church and they leave the church and they go out to Facebook or to Twitter or one of these other apps and they start bad-mouthing and blasting that church. And people immediately jump on with them and start attacking. Never thinking, because we're too dense. I'm sorry. Never thinking. Maybe this is just one side of the story. Listen, we've had years now of slander in America on a national level. What a disaster. False accusers. And by the way, it doesn't even need to be true. There's many a pastor, by the way, whose ministry has been devastated by slander. See, all you need to do, now I know some of it is true in some cases, and it does happen, and that needs to be called out. But many times things are said or done, and it's not true. And yet, once you put the thought in someone's mind of some evil thing, it's hard for people to shake it. Slander destroys lives. Incontinent, it means no power to control oneself people who are out of control. Number 12, fierce, interesting word. It means savage. The last days would be days when people would be savage. Is there any other description for many of the videos and TV programs today and also video games that are out there? The blood and the guts and the hacking and the corruption and the evil. You look at any online service, what, what is being offered and this stuff is horrific. You even go into when, when you could go into McDonald's and you'd see a red box thing or whatever they are there and you see the, okay, these are the choices McDonald's is offering and you see all these evil things and all these people and these creatures that are demonic looking, savage. It's where we're at. And then these games are lived out or these programs are lived out. What about abortion? Talking about fierce or savage. 30, over 30 million babies have been slaughtered since 1973 in the United States of America. 
30 million babies. Is there forgiveness? Yes, there's forgiveness. But friend, you must come to Christ to get the forgiveness. 30 million. Can I say this? This is reason enough for God to bring America to its knees in judgment. Our former president tried to do some things about this. Our new president gets in and he just turns it right around and is promoting it. Let me tell you, you shake your fist in God's face, he's only gonna allow it for so long. And he is gonna judge and he's gonna judge this country. We are not exempt from the judgment of God. Well, America's the apple of God's eye. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's a perversion of the truth. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Number 13, despisers of those that are good. The day will come when those who do good will be hated and those who do evil will be loved and embraced. Is that not exactly where we find ourselves today? Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There's a pastor in California right now. I don't know how it's developed, but I know as of late last week, this pastor, because his church is open in the area where he is in California, not all the churches are facing this, but his church is, because his church is open, he's doing nothing wrong but standing on the Constitution of the United States, the First Amendment. And he is facing over $1 million in fines and being threatened with jail time. Because his church is open, I'm speechless. I can't hardly believe it, but it's happening in a country near you. 2 Timothy 3, 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, traitors, surrendering yourself to the world system around you, not being loyal to Christ, not being loyal to one another. If me turning my back against you is going to forward my desires and wills and agendas and plans, I'll do it. I'll just forget about you, traitor. And you know what? Believers are doing that with the truth of God's word too. Traitors. We're afraid to stand up because we might be persecuted. That's called a traitor. That's called a traitor. Verse 12, by the way, makes that clear. Heady means reckless or headstrong. Of course, that's driven, of course, by pride. High-minded, the same idea, proud. That's an interesting word, high-minded. You know what the word literally means? It means enveloped in smoke. Your head is in the cloud. You're so clouded by your own pride, you can't even think straight. Number 17, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I can't think of anything else that would be a more vivid picture of this than the attitude where sports have been, at least in the past, and maybe it'll go that way again in the future, in our country, even within the body of Christ. Where were you on Sunday? Well, there was a big game. We went to the game. Friend, you can call this legalism if you want, but that is wrong. When you put the things of this world before the things of God, that is wrong. That is wrong. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Oh, I can't wait for the spring and the ice melts and all that, where we can spend our weekends up on the lake. Your weekends up on the lake. What about local church? Well, I need a break. Well, I sure am glad not everybody thinks like that. 
Because let me tell you, friends, the more we think that way, it's going to come a day when the doors of this church would be closed. And there won't be this church anymore. Well, I'll just find another one. Good luck. Good luck. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We need to be really careful, folks. 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I can't help but think of the church at Laodicea. They had to talk, but they did not have the walk. Having a form, the appearance of godliness, denying, it means to contradict, to contradict. They want you to think they're godly, but really don't want to have anything to do with godliness. This is believers who are truly not godly, but pretend. But obviously it could also be false believers or people who really aren't saved because they never trusted Jesus Christ. They're just going through the motions. They're religious, but they're lost. They use Christianity for their own gain. There are people that do that. So what are we to do about it now that everybody's depressed? Well, the Bible's clear. The first thing to do, it's right in the text. In verse 5, from such do what? Turn away. Don't run with people who are like this. Don't run with people who are like this. Let's go to the higher standard of walking with Jesus Christ and the blessings. The song that was sung this morning, for all he's done, I'm going to lift my voice and praise him. All the benefits, all the blessings. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? That's where our minds ought to be. We ought to be loving, falling in love with the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. So what are we to do? Number one, avoid them. It means to turn away, to separate. This does not mean that we cease to try to reach people with the gospel, but we do not partner with those who want to do evil, whether moral or doctrinal. We do not partner with them. We don't run with them. 2 Corinthians 6.14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? 2 Timothy 3, verse 6, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, (laughs) laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, The word silly, it doesn't mean, you know, somebody says something that's kind of weird or off the wall. Oh, you're silly. No, it doesn't mean that. It means weak or unstable. Weak or unstable. They are led around by their emotions is really what I think it's talking about. Verse seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. By the way, this is particularly characteristics of exactly what the cults do. Those in the cults, they love to visit homes during the week. Who's home during the week? Now, it isn't always this way. I understand. You're stereotyping women. Women are in the workplace today. Oh, be quiet. I know that. I don't live in a cave. We've got people who work. We've got women who work at our church. Yeah. Okay. That's not the point. The point, though, is the picture here is very, very clear. Okay? They go around and, and, and false teachers and those who are corrupt and perverse, they go around and they try to find, to gain an advantage some way, to get in and to influence. People like the Mormons, okay, they come in and they present this thing, oh, we're such a family-oriented branch of Christianity. They're not Christians. 
They're not Christians, folks. They don't believe Jesus is God, co-equal with the Father. They believe in works for salvation. They're not Christians. But they'll come in and say, oh, we've got this beautiful plan for your family. Don't you want a good family? Don't you want your kids to be respectful and sharp and kind and polite and all that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, sure, we want that. Well, you know what our, that's what we're about. We're family oriented. Come on, get involved. Did you get the picture? But in reality, it can be any false teaching. There is something seductive about false teaching. Why? Because it appeals to our pride, our intellect, and in this case, I believe in verse 6, the emotions. The emotions. I know something you don't. You ever met somebody like that who's in a different cult or false religion? I know something you don't. Now, the Calvinists, not all of them are this way, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of arrogance in Calvinism. I know something you don't. Years ago, we had an element of Calvinists, a, a, a number of them were, started coming to our church because their church folded. So they started coming to our church, and uh, that was the mentality. We know something you don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, what you know, I don't want to know it. Or here's a mystical truth that will unlock the keys to success in your life. You need to know this thing. This is the answer to everything, all the issues of your life. Listen, folks, if you build your theology by what you find on the internet, you are asking for serious trouble. There are many, many, many false teachers out there. I know there are some who have the truth. Praise God for them. And we want to be part of that. But there are so many that don't have the truth that are leading people astray. That's why you need a local church where you can come and you can learn the Bible verse by verse. And if you have questions, you can come ask and get your questions answered. Well, I'll email this faraway church. Yeah, and if they don't like what you emailed them, they just ignore the email. What am I going to do? Go lock myself in my office? No, I don't mind questions. I'm glad. I welcome questions. Why? We have nothing to hide. That's why. Nothing to hide. Our church doesn't have anything to hide. 2 Timothy 4, 3. What does it tell us about these days? For the, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. When you reject the truth, if you start with a false assumption you are going to wander forever. If you reject the truth, you have nothing left to believe but the lie. You need to get focused on Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.8, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Janus and Jambres are the names applied to the Egyptian magicians who tried to withstand Moses in Egypt. Did they have power? They had some power but it was satanic. Verse 9, but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. What's it saying? Those in error will be found out and they will be defeated one day. God has given it to us in his word. So what do we need to do? Number one, avoid those who are false teachers. And number two, stand up and proclaim the truth. There's a negative and there's a positive, which always is the balance of Scripture. By the way, by the way, can I mention this? Much of the Bible 
And the vast majority of the New Testament is written to correct problems. Did you know that? It's written to correct errors and problems. People say, well, I don't want to hear about don't do this and don't do that, and this is a problem and that is a problem. Then you don't want to hear the Bible because the Bible is full of those kind of things. Just read, read through Paul's epistles and see what's there. There's a lot of correction going on. We need to stand up and proclaim the truth. The culture may change, but the solutions remain the same. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14 says, but continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. We'll cover these next week, but I wanted to give you that preview. Here's where we come down today. Here's where we land. If you happen to be here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He is the only hope. He is the only solution. He is the only answer. I love what Andy talked about. The term Christian is a biblical name. It's found in scripture. The disciples were, were first called Christians, talks about. By the way, they weren't called Baptists. They're called Christians. Do you get it? The Baptists came later. I know some Baptists hate me saying that, but that is what the Bible says. Here's the point. The key is that you're a true Christian as far as what the Bible says. Not just, you're not, religion's not going to save you. The only thing that saves you is Jesus Christ. That's how you become a Christian. Share one verse with you, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, and it says this, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life. How can you know you're going to heaven? If you will put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as your savior. The Bible is clear. He is the savior. He did all the work. He paid for your sin. He rose from the grave. And all he's asking you to do is put your faith in him and he will save you. And not only that, you can know that you have eternal life. Why? Because God can't lie and he's given it to you in writing. It's a written guarantee. So if you've never trusted Christ, would you do it today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.